Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, my name is David Halperin. I'm the executive director of Israel Policy Forum, filling in today for Susie Gelman. Thank you all for bearing with us on the time change today, and apologies for the late notice of the change. We are today one week away from Israel's fourth election in just two years uh, as we get ready for yet another Israeli election. Uh, in addition to joining us today, uh, please check out our website at israelpolicyforum.org, where you can find a new election explainer outlining the major political parties, uh, their leaders, and positions. Uh, I also want to give you all a, a heads up that next week we'll also be at a different uh, new time as we have a special webinar next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time on election night in Israel. This will be a special webinar to watch the exit polls together uh, live as they are released in Israel. And we'll discuss the initial results of the election as they come in with members of the Israel Policy Forum team uh, based in Israel and in Washington. They'll provide analysis in real time of those exit polls, explore possible coalition scenarios, uh, and of course, examine what it all might mean. Uh, a notice uh, with registration information will be sent out by email shortly, uh, so I hope you'll be sure to tune in. Before we get started today, I do want to note that all of these programs are made possible by your generous support. If you are not yet an Israel Policy Forum contributor, please join us and visit israelpolicyforum.org slash giving to make a gift today, and thank you in advance. Uh, just a, a few more reminders before we begin today. We really do encourage you to ask questions, which we will address at the latter half of today's program. To submit a question, please type it out in the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen. Uh, and lastly, if you're not already listening to our podcast, Israel Policy Pod, uh, I really want to encourage you to start doing so. You can find it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to download your podcasts. There you can find recordings of all of our Tuesday webinar briefings, including this one, uh, as well as original episodes that examine a wide array of issues impacting the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with really a wide array of guests. Our most recent episode uh, features the filmmakers of the new documentary film, Till Kingdom Come, examining Christian evangelical support for Israel. Uh, it's really worth a listen, so, so please check it out. With that, let's, let's get started. Uh, as I mentioned, next week, Israel goes to the polls uh, yet again, uh, and perhaps not for the last time. Uh, and there really are few people as knowledgeable as our guests today, uh, Tal Schneider, uh, a longtime political reporter for numerous news outlets, both in Israel, and, and she's been a, a correspondent from Washington. She's a true insider of Israel's political scene. Uh, Tal is currently a political reporter for the Times of Israel, and we're really so grateful to have Tal join us yet again to help us try to make sense of the nonstop political chaos uh, and preview for us what's to come next week. So, so thanks so much for being here, Tal. Thank you. Good evening. Oh, good, good afternoon. Here it's uh, 9 p.m. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we have four elections in two years and, and Pesach's around the corner, so I, I, I can't help but open by asking, how's this night different from all others? Uh, so how how is this election or this election campaign uh, different from, from the others? Um, it's not that different. It's it's a bit different because Netanyahu has a bit more challenging uh, people from the right wing. Uh, for example, Naftali Bennett, who chairs Yamina, 
um, in, in the last campaign always said that he will sit with Netanyahu. This time around, Bennett says that he wants a new government, that uh, a replacement is needed. Uh, however, it doesn't rule out Netanyahu completely. So he's playing in both fields. Also, there is a former minister from the Likud, Gideon Saar, who was education minister and the interior minister and prominent Likud member for many, many years. And he left the Likud and is to set up a new party who is challenging Netanyahu from the right wing. He brought with him, um, I think, three or four ministers. So four ministers altogether, former uh, ministers. And um, he, he has between nine to ten seats, which is... Um, you know, it's quite an amount. So, so there is a, ch and he says he's actually, actually he's ruling out any coalition with Netanyahu. So you have at least 10 seats on the right wing who say they will not sit with Netanyahu. If you add to that a Victor Lieberman, seven seats, together 17 people, right wing people who are opposing Netanyahu completely. Um, so there is a, kind of, uh, how would you say, um, involvement here. But uh, it doesn't mean that Netanyahu is losing or anything at the moment. Hmm. I mean, you mentioned those right-wing seats that aren't willing necessarily to sit with Netanyahu. Of course, we have uh, th those on the right that, of course, are. Uh, we have the the combination of, 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 of factions that have created this religious Zionism party um, that uh, you know Netanyahu has formed a coalition. Uh, uh, maybe you could explain a bit about the vote-sharing agreement um, this, of course, includes, you know, far-right political characters like Itamar Ben-Gvir, who um, is sort of the descendant of the political ideology of Mayor Kahana. Uh, and, you know, it seems that the uh, that once what was once a political liability in some ways has become an asset. And I wonder if you could explain just how we've gotten to this point. Yeah, so this is quite an amazing um, development. We actually, Ben Gvir has been in the political scene, Itamar Ben Gvir has been in the political scene for many years and he been, he been try, he's been trying to get, in, to, to, to get into the Knesset for a long time. Um, he was trying all sorts of combination, going out alone, going out with, um, with other groups. Uh, none of them worked until now when he is entered into what we called uh, it's a former uh, a former party they, they keep changing the names all the time the party is the which used to be the most extreme um, this party headed by Betzalel Smotrich who is a former transportation minister this party took in Two small factions. One is the faction of the Kahanist Ben Gvir, and the other faction called Noam, uh, which is pleasant, but 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 the, the party is not really pleasant because this party is actually the opposite of pleasant. They are against LGBT, they are against women, they are against women in the military. They are against um, you know any type of alternative family or. Uh, well, today we even find out that they are against uh, women that are complaining about um, um, insects. I'm, I'm uh, complaining about what's that? Yeah, it's, they are against even women that are complaining against, um, you know, oh, um, incest. Yeah. Okay. 
Sorry, I'm sorry. Right. No, it's okay. Women who are, who are right. complaining about, you know, um, sex um, uh, in the family or or other sex offensive. Uh, Understood. Understood. So this is like uh, extreme right wing, um, strict. religious uh, you know faction and and those those three groups got together and with the help of Netanyahu set up their own uh, new uh, religious Zionist uh, party now uh, I have to say also about Benvir um, this is not something to be taken lightly because he is a partner with for example of he was a partner with the uh, Um, Michael Michael Ben Ari, who was outlawed by the State Department as a member of a terror organization Kah. Right. So that's his colleague. Uh, ben, uh, um, ben Ari was uh, disqualified by the Supreme Court. Bengvir was not disqualified by the Supreme Court. And Netanyahu, in order to have you know to have those three sit together, promised them jobs in the next coalition. And also took one of them into his own liquid list such that they will have more room if that makes sense to you. Yeah. So one of the members of these uh, factions just moved into the liquid list. So when, 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 the, when the religious Zionist uh, is entering five or six seats, it's actually like seven seats because one of them is, is borrowed in the liquid. So the liquid actually made space for them. And obviously the Likud wants them to be in the, in the coalition. Uh, Benvir goes from a studio to studio on, on the channels and, and says that he will be a minister of defense of the Negev or something like that because he wants to work against the Bedouin. Yeah. Um, yes, and they have uh, between five to six uh, seats in the policy, a very worrying, uh, worrisome um, uh, development. Um, Even, even if Bennett did not agree to work with them. Right. So, And yet, thus far, there hasn't really been a political cost to this alliance uh, that Netanyahu has formed, as, as of yet, of course. You mean there isn't any cost, there is a gain. There because, is a gain. Uh, Don't gain. Well, you always have extremist people who, you know, if you're looking for votes, you can always find extremists in, in, any, any, you know, in any society. So there's always a crowd for these uh, you know, uh, things that they say. Uh, the big question is the leader of the country, if he embrace, embrace that, then you find more people who is willing to you know, whitewash it. Um, right. I wonder if maybe we should move from right to left. You mentioned Naftali Bennett in this uh, interesting position of, of uh, maybe sitting with Bibi, maybe not. Um, and finding himself in competition for votes with Gidon Saar. Can you share a bit about Naftali Bennett's uh, roller coaster during this election ride, going from not even uh, crossing the threshold uh, in, in uh, one of the earlier elections, I, I don't know how many elections ago <laughs> it was, um, to, to being this coronavirus expert and, and where we're at one week out uh, from, from going back to the polls? Yeah, Naftali Bennett has made it from zero seats in uh, the first term in April 2019 to be defense minister uh, following the second uh, election because Netanyahu was suspecting that Naftali Bennett will jump into Benny Gantz's lap, so he just gave him the defense ministry. 
while being a defense minister, uh, the pandemic hit Israel. And Naftali Bennett did something that is, you know, good at is, um, you know, he's good under pressure, under like war condition. And he started to, to claim, you know, many things as the defense minister that the IDF should be more involved in the pandemic and so on. And, you know, it was proven right because maybe six to seven months after Naftali Bennett uh, claimed those things, Netanyahu finally made it to fulfill them. So everything he claimed was, you know, it was kind of a visionary, uh, you know, negative visionary because it was the pandemic, but a visionary still, you know, thinking out of the box, being very helpful, being very, um, you know, listening to the people. Even during the summer of, of 2020, when we were getting ready to a third election or to the second election, I can't even remember. Um, yeah. After the third election, uh, when uh, Netanyahu was talking about annexation all the time, Bennett came out and Bennett's supposed to be the king of annexation, right? This is, you know, a concept that he was running with for many years. He said, you know, we're during a pandemic. Businesses are losing their job. Everything is closed down. Please don't talk to me about annexation. I'm worried about the livelihood of the people and I'm worried about their business and I don't want to talk about annexation. So that was like, wow, you know, when if, even Bennett doesn't want to talk annexation. So maybe he's really into business and he's running an entire economic campaign, even as we speak right now, doesn't mention Iran, doesn't mention the Palestinian, doesn't mention the European Union, even the ICC doesn't get much attention from him. Only about you know the health condition, the, the businesses, small business owners, taxation, um, very different from a, for a right wing uh, politician. And he's he has um, ten to eleven seats at the moment. Uh, at the top, probably like four to five months ago, it was up in uh, in twenty two or twenty mandate. But you know that was before the the election began. And uh, the big question is. You know, it has a lot of criticism of Netanyahu. If Netanyahu will have 61 seats with Bennett, we find it very hard to believe that Bennett will work to build a different coalition. But if Netanyahu doesn't have the 61 and he is on 59 or 58 or even 60, we may find Bennett doing something else even though he proclaimed the other day that he will not sit under Yair Lapid as a prime minister. So there is like a bit of contradiction here. He claims to, he needs, we need change. He claims we need a different government. But when you ask him about Yair Lapid, the contender, he says, mm, no, no, because he is lefty. So, but you know, the, the, the third option obviously is a fifth election, which is a severe situation, and for the listeners who doesn't uh, understand how severe it is, we don't have a budget for two and a half years here in Israel. So this is like the lockdown that you experience once in a while in the United States. Yeah. So here it's not a lockdown, but it's actually no money um, for the government. So the government is using a former budget and uh, cannot do any reforms. And this is during a pandemic when everything is closed and Israel was, you know, uh, one of the countries that the school system was closed for almost an entire year, uh, a severe situation. And we're doing very good with the vaccination, but we're doing very bad on, on, on the economic front and on the number of the, of the casualties or deaths from, from, the, from the corona. Well, it, it will be fascinating to see what 
uh, how Bennett evolves in his political strategy. Of course, what you say before elections doesn't always match with what you say after elections, as we found with Benny with Benny Gantz. I wonder uh, if you know moving all moving them, all of them. All of them. Yes. Uh, going, you know, when we move to Gidon Saar, I, I was surprised at the outset you mentioned that his nine to ten seats currently po- polling is quite formidable. But of course, when he first joined and first created the New Hope faction, he was really surging in the polls. I think at at one point, maybe close to twenty, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. I'm curious um, what you make of Gidon's start as an independent political figure outside of the the Likud. Uh, what you make of this, uh, his first go round, and, and will there will there be another? Does he have staying power with this this new hope faction? His campaign is really tough because the rest of them has been doing free campaigns for two years, so they're really uh, you know like an oiled machine. Uh, Lapid and Netanyahu with the same advisor, with the same stuff, you know, running around again and again. I mean, they they have a lot of practice, and he's just set up a new party with no digital presence, no, you know, you need text messages, you need like, a, a you know, like a, a poll of, of, of email lists and- Infrastructure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, digital assets, I mean, specifically when you, you cannot campaign in, in, in city halls and stuff like that until like two weeks ago. So you definitely needed your digital presence and obviously with no money. So the rest of them have uh, a country finance, uh, the government finance for the election because they are, the parties are already exist in the outgoing Knesset and Gidon came out from the out, you know, with no, um, only private money, which is much more tough in Israel. Usually here, the parties are relying on, on, um, you know, governmental finance and not on, 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 on donations. So tough and, um, you know, uphill battle. And, and he knew, I think from the out, from the start, that at the end, when it comes to the voting day, Netanyahu is really good at convincing people and you know pursuing people to to do, come and join him. And and let's not uh, forget that Netanyahu is the incumbent uh, prime minister. And as you know, incumbent, as you see it in all of the democracies, and you you saw it in the United States, but here Netanyahu is expert on you know taking the advantage of the incumbent to you know produce the news to to rule the, the news cycle to produce, um, you know, ideas like an economic plan and so on, or maybe he was almost on his way to a visit in the UAE, um, you know, a couple of days ago when the Jordanian king just stopped it. But if not for the Jordanian king, then he would do like a campaign stop in uh, in Abu Dhabi, which is, um, you know, this is something only a prime minister can do. So obviously, Saar is running a very tough battle, but, you know, let's give it to him that he was maybe the first and the only minister from within, within the Likud ranks that actually had the guts to stand up to Netanyahu. And this is something that we haven't seen here for many, many years. So that's a first. And he took with him a Elkin, Shasha Beaton, and uh, uh, I mentioned before uh, another minister. So it's a topping uh, four ministers. That's something. It's not, you know, it will probably will go down as the bravest, <laughs> bravest politician here. Uh, maybe on a suicide mission. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> and maybe he'll have time to build his infrastructure for the fifth fifth election. Uh, should there should there be one? Uh, I know we have a lot of really great questions. Please keep them coming. We're going to get to questions uh, from the audience in a moment. But before we leave the right side of the political map, we really we really can't forget. Obviously. Uh, 
uh, Bibi Netanyahu himself and the Likud's campaign. And I think what's been striking, at least from a distance to watch, has been the courting of the of the Arab sector um, by Likud. I wonder if you could assess the Likud's campaign in this in this round of elections, and particularly this 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 effort uh, at engaging uh, or or reaching out to to Arab voters. Uh, it's weird, I have to tell you. Uh, Netanyahu was going out against the Arabs, claiming they they are uh, forging uh, and they are full of dece- deceptions. Uh, you know, for for at least two campaigns, he was all out against them as the people who are um, cheating at the polls and uh, as as if only Arabs cheat at the polls, or as if it, this is. Uh, you know, as if you can you can take a whole community or a whole Arab street and 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 put a, a label on it. It was so annoying to them. I mean, I mean, some of his claims in Facebook, um, you know, chatbot were actually taken down by Facebook. You know, back in the days before Facebook took a president's face down. Right, right. It was the first, I think, a leader of a country that Facebook actually shut down his chatbot for 24 hours before election because of some really racist remarks against the society of Israel. Now, obviously, I may, maybe you all know we have 21% citizens of the country who are either, uh, most of them are Muslims, but, you know, some of them are Christians and Druze, but, you know, mainly mainly uh, 19, 19% mus- Muslims, and they have a right to vote like everybody else. Netanyahu, everybody remember his 2015, the lefties are driving the Arabs to vote, you know, like a statement like that, which as, as, as if they don't have the right to vote. So after years and years and years of racist remarks, he suddenly remembered that he may try to convince uh, Arab society to vote for the Likud which is an interesting uh, thought. And I'm sure some of them are, are doing it differently. I mean, um, I mean, you know, many young Arabs want to be engaged and want to be part of the society and um, want to be part of a winning party. So I'm sure some of his remarks are taken in seriously. We have a huge problem in the Arab society of violence, of, of, of a very high rate of uh, murders and, and death uh, on the street, on the Arab street and Arab villages. And Netanyahu is promising them to solve that. And he's been prime minister for 12 years, and during which the, the situation really deteriorated in the Arab society to, to this very high rate of murders. And uh, I mean, I'm not talking uh, just about something that is, um, you know, um, on the sidelines. We are talking about a murder a day. Crazy stuff. Um, every day there is a murder. There is a murder sometimes of kids and, 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 and youth. And he's promising all over. I mean, he's traveling from a village to village, says, I'm, I'm going to be the person who will solve this. I understand your pain and so on. And I, I suppose some of the people really bite into it. And um, so this campaign, he's been traveling, I think, places he hasn't set a foot once in 12 years. Bedouin villages in the south, northern cities, um, Um El Fahem, uh, a huge city he, he didn't visit as a prime minister at all, and, and, and many other places. You, you see him with the vaccination campaign going from town to town, sitting next to a person who gets the, you know, the needle, and he is all cheerful next to him, and he says, 
This is uh, Muhammad Agrabia, the five million person who got the, the, the shot. I mean, you know, by the way, it's nice. I think that's, that's the way it should have been done to begin with. Uh, I wonder why it took him 12 years. And maybe if he wins, maybe he will learn the lesson and he will, you know, go to an Arab village every day. I mean, you know, get an Arab minister. That would be great. Um, you know, there is a party called the Islamic Movement. Yeah. Uh, they are the Islamic movement as if, you know, they're not part of the, of the international Islamic movement, but yeah, they are, their ideology is somewhat uh, connected to the Muslim Brotherhood of, of Egypt and Hamas in Gaza, a terror organization. They're yeah. not really connected, but they are some sort of, uh, on, on the religious front, they may be connected. And he wants to have them in his coalition. So, I mean... For me, I think if there's one thing that would be a good result of this election, maybe Mansour Abbas, the chair of this party, will be the housing minister. That, that can be very good. Um, but Netanyahu promises that he will not sit with them. Uh, that's his promise. But Right. And yet we've, we've, we've begun to see this, uh, the idea that, that the Arab parties would not uh, sit in a coalition that that has historically been a, the, the position of most of the political landscape that that has begun to shift with with what Yair Lapid has begun to say, which I, I want to touch on. But before we go to to Lapid and 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 uh, the challenges from the the center and left, I think we can't really forget Benny Gantz. And I wonder if you could just share with us what you know what is the likelihood that Benny Gantz survives this election to fight another day? It's kind of remarkable. I saw, I think on Twitter the other day that his uh, new election campaign, you know, going from uh, uh, Israel before all of his previous campaign to just making sure that Benny is in the Knesset, uh, rather going from the challenger to prime minister to just trying to get in. Um, what, what is it? What is his future? Actually, there is an amazing story running around here, and it's been um, and it's been uh, how to say uh, verified by the pollsters that many people who are Likud members or Likud supporters, when they get the the call from the pollsters or when they get the link from the pollsters, they're actually saying, "Oh, we are supporting Benny Gantz." And why are they doing it? They're doing it. Obviously, it's not true. They're they're doing it to inflate his numbers so that on the polling, um, you may see Benny Gantz, um, you know, appearing at, at four to five, but on election day, it will be, you know, you know, drop to, we don't know what. So what does, you know, what does it give the Likud or Netanyahu? Why, why would they do it? They do it for two reasons. If he is under the threshold, then the the left or the center left is actually you know wasting probably 100,000 votes so the, the, those ballots will not be counted because they did not they did not cross the threshold so it's a waste of 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 votes and if he is crossing the the threshold uh, at four uh, four seats then Netanyahu may try to dismantle <laughs> As much as you can dismantle a four, four, four uh, people party, he will try to dismantle them further and get you know people from them to to be on his cabinet or to or maybe maybe have Gantz himself in the cabinet. So like it's like a winning win-win situation uh, for Netanyahu. 
Uh, and it's, it's actually, you know, quite a disgrace what happened with him. Uh, he was, you know, the big promise. Uh, I don't think ever in the history of the left, so many people voted for one person. Uh, you know, he, he went up to 35 mandates. You know, th- th- these are numbers that we haven't seen since the 80s or so. And, um, yeah, he just took it and really, um, you know, ruined, ruined it by entering the government while... Everybody around him, including the entire media, the entire, you know, consultant, the all the all the chattering uh, chattering class. Everybody say, you know, you're making a huge mistake. You're making a but it was under the pandemic. We are we are talking last Passover. Remember a Passover a year ago, where all of the people in Israel sat in their um, you know small family. Families, no, no, no families gathering. I mean, you must understand what it's what it means to have Passover when your mom is in another city sitting by herself. I mean, my mom right. doing Passover alone. Right. That, that was actually the, the situation. So we were, you know, totally depressed and upset and afraid. And Netanyahu was really good at going on TV and scaring us even further, saying we are expecting 10,000 deaths in a month or so. And Benny, Benny, you must come in and help me. Benny, you should not sit on the sidelines. And Benny, <laughs> Benny is a good guy. <laughs> and he ju- jumped in. Yeah, I'm... I don't and, know what's going to happen with him, but definitely not, <laughs> not the big star anymore. Right. I mean, the, the person who didn't jump in is Yair Lapid. And I think that's what's been impressive watching Lapid over the years is just his staying power. When I think about so many centrist factions that have come and gone over Israel's political history, to see that his infrastructure has been quite strong. And now he's pulling at some 20 seats. And I I, I want to just note that we put in the chat, um, Joel Tauber had a request um, uh, about the poll numbers. We put that in the, in the chat. You all can see the latest numbers from Channel 12. Um, Yair Lapid, is this his best shot? Um, and what do you what do you make of his curious campaign where he is uh, he is running for prime minister, but not exactly talking openly about it? Uh, I wonder if you could unpack that for us. Actually, I was in a press conference today, my first press conference, f- physical, not a Zoom press conference. It's like my first press conference for a year. Wow. Yes, uh, I went today physically to Tel Aviv, actually getting out of this. Uh, like around uh, human beings and stuff. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> and the conference was by Yair Lapid, which um, answered some questions. And um, it's, it's funny. And I, I, got, I got to ask like two questions. And I was asking him, you know, by the way, I mean, Saar and Bennett, they keep saying that they will not sit under your leadership. How do you plan to replace a government if no one is willing to, to sit under? And, you know, they all say, you know, let's wait for the numbers. And I, he said, I, I advise Bennett and Saar not to say things that they will regret following next Tuesday. So he said, you know, we've seen what's happening with people that say things and then they regret it. And I'm trying not to say things that I would regret. Also, we asked him um, about, uh, you know, his get out to vote campaign. And, you know, he is trying to say that he is not 
the how do you say that like the absolute next prime minister. So he's trying to be some some in a way modest about his intention. And why is that? It's because it's not because he's a modest person. It's definitely not because he doesn't want to be the next prime minister. He does. But as a campaign discipline, he doesn't proclaim it. And he keeps saying, oh, there are many options. Mm, not necessarily. Uh, it's just, it's not about me. It's about the people and so on. So why does he do that? And he's, a, he's polling at 20, but he wants to, that's what he said to the, the, the press conference that he's planning on enlarging his base up to, you know, you know, he thinks that in order to, to replace the government, you need to have a bigger party. So why would, wouldn't he talk about himself and why wouldn't he, why is being so modest? The reason is because Netanyahu's campaign at, at the end, at the last two weeks and, and, and the, the following week, is focused about this um, head-to-head fight. Netanyahu is saying to his base, you know, Lapid is the danger, Lapid is the lefty, Lapid will bring the left into government, and if the left is in the government, the country is at risk, and so on. And Netanyahu is trying to portray it as a person-to-person campaign, whereas, as you all know, we are not in the presidential system, we are in the party system. You don't vote for a person, you vote for a party, and, and the party chair can be replaced, as well as you have to have a combination of parties to form a government. You don't need just one person. So this, you know, Saar, Bennett, and Lapid, uh, as long as they keep claiming that each one of them is suitable to be a prime minister, it doesn't play good for Netanyahu because he cannot have the head-to-head campaign. So Lapid, what Lapid is trying to do is trying to neutralize this claim, is trying to just make it clear to the public that the plan of Netanyahu to have a head-to-head campaign it's not something that he is uh, into. So now yeah. you see this, um, Netanyahu says, I want to have a debate. And Lapid says, right. okay, yet let's do it. And Netanyahu says, okay, I'll come to a debate with you only if you pr- announce that you are um, a prime minister material or you're a prime minister nominee. And Lapid says, well, you know, not necessarily, but let's do a debate anyway. And I will not announce it. And then, and, and then Netanyahu is saying to, um, to Bennett, for example, he says, Bennett, I want you to make a commitment that you are not going to sit with Lapid. And I also want you to make a commitment that you are not going to demand rotation. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and Bennett had quite a funny uh, answers. He said, if anyone is looking for a commitment from Netanyahu, it is as if, uh, and he gave those examples of like a failing business person and so on. So that was kind of funny because they're taking the sting out of Netanyahu's, um, comp- I mean, they know him so well by now after four right. uh, cycles. I mean, you, you, they know all the tricks. They know all the so, games. Yeah. So we, we have a ton of questions I want to get to, but I think it's important. A lot of the questions are about Mirav Mikhaeli uh, mm-hmm. breathing life into the Labour Party, uh, some about the situation uh, with merits and whether it will cross the threshold. I think it's important we we have you touch on on that and then and then touch a bit on the state of the Arab parties and and the religious as well. Uh, and then I really want to dig into these questions. But maybe we can unpack the the 
the ongoing saga of the Labour Party, it's dead, it's alive, it's back, it's, it, where, where are we at now? <laughs> well, it's live at the moment. Uh, it has six to seven seats, maybe six. six. I, I suppose they will end up with five. The Labour, you know, Marav uh, Michaeli actually rescued the party, but it's not that it's not uh, it's not going back to his old ages as the founding party of the country, and it's still a very socialist, lefty leaning. Marav Michaeli also brought brought in a lot of gender talk, which is really good and really refreshing. Uh, she is the only woman who is chairing a party, and then and you know. It's uh, not surprising that this is the only party who is talking the gender talk. I mean, you know, really, really talking the gender talk about, you know, many issues. Uh, also the corona, everything is, you know, through the perspective of, 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 of the of feminists. Um, you know, how the corona hit on women specifically, how some occupations are suffering, you know, teachers, nurses and social workers. Um, really talking about the working moms, the working parents, but a lot about the working moms, about you know, um, you know, sex offenders. Um, as I said earlier, it's an issue here because there was a big you know story the other day about a huge sex offender from coming from the ultra orthodox society. So she's talking about that, um, and she is yeah, she's a she's very refreshing. I have to tell you, I mean. We have been reading party platforms for years now, two years reading party platforms all the time. And suddenly someone comes with a part, written party platforms that actually talks about women in, in a different way. So, I mean, you know, we do know that according to the polling, um, you know, professionals, there are at least 10 mandates, 10 seats, uh, which is approximately like, more than 3,000 people, 300,000 people who didn't make up their mind yet. And usually those are mostly women. So it makes sense to talk to women a lot at this point of time, a week before the election. Um, and, and by the way, more than 300,000, that's a huge number for undecided at this, at this point. And for me, talking for pe for, to people uh, around me, I, even my son, my eldest, who is a soldier, he told me the other day he has no idea who to vote, and people are de actually debating between Saar and 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 Lapid, and and the, you know the confusion is so big. So take take I advise the listeners to take all of the polling that we read and hear to take it into perspective. There is ten seats that are still out there, and many people haven't made up their mind. It's really really hard to tell what's going to happen specifically. With the with the many parties that are on the brink of the threshold. Uh, yeah, it's going to be some some drama next week. It seems um, we had we've had uh, questions about the Arab sector. We of course touched on the uh, campaign by the Likud to engage the Arab sector, and uh, Ellie Nirenberg had had asked if if the divide in the Arab vote, um, uh, the imp implications of that, and is it. Uh, as he wrote, is it a sign that uh, anti-Zionism or anti-Zionist sentiments in the Arab-Israeli population is is on its way out? Are the Arabs, are the Israeli Arab population, more ready to engage more more broadly in the political system? Yeah, well, first, the Joint Arab List is still uh, the leading party. They have between eight to nine seats, and they are 
we are expecting a, low, a lower voter turnout on the Arab society because of this split. But I know you will find it hard to believe some of the issues that are being you know, drawn into the media, the Arab media as well, to understand the difference between the Islamic movement and the Joint Arab List is actually the LGBT issue. I mean, you know, you know who knows how this happened, but um, it became like um, an, a tag issue, an index issue to do, you know, makes the difference between conservative Arabs, religious Arabs, and, and modern Arabs. As, as it's, it's the same in the Jewish communities, but you know, up until this campaign, it was never uh, an issue that was like, you know, putting the, the Arab society into, you know, different parts. And some of the Arabs uh, members of the Knesset came out and say, even if they are within, within the joint Arab list, they came out and say, okay, we are, we know there is this LGBT issue, but we still want to preserve, you know, family values, which was kind of funny to hear them talk about it because, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, they came out of the closet, not in a good way. They came out in the closet in a conservative, weird way. And um, so that's, that's an issue. Obviously, as I said before, the, the, um, the violence in the Arab street is like, it's, it's, it's tearing the, Arabs, the Arab villages. It's, it's horrific. I cannot start to explain to you how terrible it is. We just had a murder of a 15-year-old kid the other day sitting uh, in a car outside his house with a police station 100 meters or like three, uh, 30 feet away. 30 feet, I'm not sure. Not very far away, on the same street. An Arab station, an, a, a police station. And the policeman didn't even show up at the, at the, at the place to, to assist. So uh, really horrible stories, uh, horror stories, I have to tell you. Um, and um, there, it seems to be like there isn't a solution. And I think the the, the Arab citizens are very angry at Israel's police, but they are very angry at their representative to the Knesset as well. They keep talking about it like the representative, the current MKs are not doing enough to, to help them. And I think this is effect, um, this affects the, the voter turnout. And I, I do expect a, a lower voter turnout. So. Um, and by the way, Yair Lapid is keeping a good connections with uh, Ayman Ode, the chair of the um, of the Joint Arab List, and is also keeping in a good connection of the chair of the of the Islamic movement with both parties. And I heard Ayman Ode, the chair of the Joint Arab List, who is actually from Khadash, uh, that's the former Communist Party of Israel. It's still a thing here. And Ayman Ode said um, that he is very happy with Yair Lapid remarks with respect to the Arab society, because Yair Lapid said for the first time that he wants to have an Arab minister. So that was fresh to hear that, uh, these two guys cooperating. I think Yair Lapid also made changes in his attitude. I mean, he was never as racist as the prime minister, but uh, obviously he didn't take, he wasn't, he wasn't giving them much attention. And now, because of what's happening in the Arab society, you see all the Israeli politicians right to left. I mean, everybody except maybe Smotrich, um, are, which is, as I said before, the Kahanist uh, party, you know, uh, joined with the Kahanist party. But the rest of the politicians, we see them going to the Arab radio station studios, 
websites, talking in Hebrew, but talking to the public in a way that we haven't seen before. Um, Gantz, Lapid, um, you know, um, all of them. And even Lieberman, I mean, his campaign is not about against the Arabs. His campaign is about the ultra-Orthodox. So, yeah, I mean, moving to the ultra-Orthodox, we have a we have a, a number of questions. Mark Lebret asked, "What are the main requests of the religious parties?" Uh, we have a lot of questions. I saw Alan Warshaw, Ricky Lieberman, both pointed uh, to Gilad Kariv, the Reform Rabbi, um, running in this this cycle, and the 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 question of the re- recent ruling on reform conservative conversions in Israel and the uh, and what all this means in terms of the broader Israel diaspora relationship. Um, I wonder if you could touch on on all of those issues with the sort of you know we 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 kind of skipped over Lieberman and you you just invited this 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 question of of the uh, religious uh, state question heading into this. Uh, uh, into next week's polls, uh, I wonder if you could just touch on the religious parties and this these this broader question that all that ties these questions together on the on the religion and state. So first, breaking news: um, we are not going we are not going to have a separation of church and state. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not in my lifetime. Uh, it's not going to happen. But anyways, um, um, the ultra orthodox is probably same as. As always, they are fully into Netanyahu's side. Um, you know, back in Israel's history, we remember that uh, at least uh, some of them, um, you know, Shas and, and sometimes the United Torah Judaism would go, would say that we are going with either side. It's not the case anymore. They are totally into Netanyahu, um, you know, supportive of him and no matter what. So if Netanyahu has 30 seats and they have together about 15, it's 45, it's like a block. They are not, they're unseparable. Um, um, you cannot take them apart, they're glued. <laughs> Some people say that um, we will not be able to reconstruct our economy with the ultra-Orthodox in power because the amount of money that is being granted to ultra-Orthodox causes is so high and the budget, we have such a huge deficit and such high rate of unemployment at the moment. So as long as the demands of the ultra-Orthodox are so high and Netanyahu you know, give, is giving them everything they request, I'm talking about you know, budget requests. So as long as that is the case, we will not be able to pull ourselves out of a recession or out of this unemployment and, um, and um, you know, severe uh, economic um, downturn. Um, with, um, but they, they definitely are not planning to, to join the other side, no matter what. And that's quite, um, quite, um, you know, um, it seems quite final. Um, with respect to Victor Lieberman, so his entire campaign is, uh, an anti-ultra-orthodox campaign is even, he even said today that he's blaming Yair Lapid for not proclaiming that he will not sit with the ultra-Orthodox. He's running, um, he has seven seats. Um, Some of the claims, I mean, the the secular sector of the country is really mad. I mean, you would expect the Lieberman to have, you know, maybe 16 seats by now, if you judge by the the atmosphere and the sentiment against the the ultra-Orthodox, you know, for many reasons. 
we've seen um, very uneven way of treatment society, uh, communities in Israel during the pandemic. Um, you know, school closure, for exa- example, took place mostly in the secular communities, and whereas the ultra-Orthodox communities were waived, and also other, other problems that we've seen for that year. So I think the Israeli public have seen how the politics of the pandemic is really played out in front of our eyes when the political partner of Prime Minister, the most important political partner, is actually ultra-Orthodox um, MK, is a member of the Knesset, and there was a huge frustration, but it doesn't translate into seats at the moment, I think because of the amount of hate talk. So Lieberman is so much into hate speech, I think it kind of turns people off. Mm-hmm. And they do want to see a change, but they don't want the harsh language that comes with it. And they don't want to take all of the rights of their ultra-Orthodox community. I mean, it, it is a poor community. It is in, in, under the poverty lines. It's not like a privileged community. So um, uh, I think but the, the, those three parties, the Vigdor uh, Lieberman, I mean, Israel Beiteno, Shas and, and United Torah Judaism, they have the same numbers. It's like a straight line. Right. Lieberman will not sit with them no matter what, and they will not sit with him no matter what. Um, Leo Greenberg asked, would they, uh, including others on the right, would they sit in a government that could be reliant on Mansour Abbas? With the Ram faction. Well, the deal with the Ram faction, I can tell you, it's not probably it's not being part of the government. I mean, if it's a Likud government. If it's a, a left, um, you know, center-left government, maybe he will be included. But if it's a Likud government, I expect him not to be part of the coalition, but to be uh, what we call here Gush Hossein. And I don't have, I don't know the word for that in English. Gush, yeah. it's like a blocking. Um, yes, it's a yeah support. For, yeah, I, 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 um, a blocking block. Uh, yes, <laughs> understood. It, it, it means support that, from the outside. Yeah. Yeah, it means that in order to swear in a government, you actually don't have to have 61. You can, you can let's say Netanyahu has 58, and Ram, the Islamic movement, has four seats. So Netanyahu can swear in a government with 58 as long as it doesn't have right. two that will vote against him. So how come how how is a situation when you don't have 62 that will vote 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 against you, at least four seats by Ram by the Islamic movement will step out of the plenum. They will just go outside and stay in the hallways or in the cars or whatever in a cafe somewhere, and 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 they will just um, abstain, and then you will have you know like 50. I mean, 59, 58, or 57, never mind what's the numbers. You will have, you can swear in a government, but in order to do that, Netanyahu has to convince them to do that. Because if he doesn't convince them to do it, they will go right back into the plenum and vote against him. So how do you convince Mansour Abbas, who is the chair of Ram, to abstain? You give him promises such as, I will give you more budgets to your villages. I will nominate you as such and such. I will give you the chairmanship of a committee and so on. 
that's it. I mean, it's not my imagination. Netanyahu already did that with Mansour Abbas, with Bidram in the last two years, at least two to three times on, on votes. For example, on the dissolvement of the Knesset or on vote to nominate a, um, a general controller. controller. Um, he already did that with them. They either abstained or voted with, with the Likud. Right. And um, so they have an, a shared history of cooperation and it's a hidden cooperation, but everybody knows, everybody are talking about it. It's not easy to hide it anymore. And, and Mansour Abbas and people on, from the Arab street, they, they are yelling at Mansour Abbas. They tell him, oh, he's just using you to his own um, interest and don't, don't be fooled by Netanyahu and so on. And when you ask Mansour Abbas on radio, he says, you know what? I want to be used. I mm. want to be taken advantage of. And right. why is that? Because when I am being used, I am bringing money to the villages and I am bringing help. Yeah. So he actually says, whoever wants to use me and offer more and offers more, yeah. I will go with him. Right. And I will give him what he wants in order to have, you know, this is politics. So yeah, yeah. So we, we have so many good questions. I wish I could ask them all, but I'm going to try to come find some things. Say that Mansour Abbas is actually says oh. that about himself. I'm for sale. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, unusual politi- politics in Israel, for sure. <laughs> That's the selling point. Um, we have, we've had questions about how a Biden administration would engage uh, with a government that has um, sort of these far right fa- uh, figures in it, like Ben Gvir and the like, we've had questions about the recent um, uh, tension between Israel and Jordan, where Netanyahu's flight to the UAE was canceled at the last minute. We have questions about the Iran issue and the nuclear issue, and I would put all of these questions into the basket of you know regional politics that. In the, not to mention the word Palestinians, which we have not mentioned even once in this entire conversation. Um, where, do, where do those issues, the regional political issues and the relationship with the United States, how do they factor into the d- discourse around this election, if at all? So obviously this election, the fourth election, is very different from the first three elections. I think on the three elections, uh, President, pro, former President Trump actually played a major role uh, he was like in a campaign activist for Netanyahu. I mean, we've seen, you know, all over the map in Ramata Golan, in, uh, um, you know, um, resolutions about the status of, uh, the legal status of some of the illegal uh, outposts, uh, the def- defense pact that made it into a tweet, but never made any anywhere other than a tweet, but was a big campaign shtick for Netanyahu, the... The fact that Netanyahu was talking about annexation and, and, and Trump never, you know, even, you know, cared about it. So he was like a big campaigner for uh, for uh, Netanyahu in this uh, free election. And, and obviously Netanyahu doesn't have it this time. He hardly managed to get a phone call. The phone call came very late and was a big issue here. Um, you know, the fact that they were not talking yet was, a, you know, a huge issue here. Um, all over the news. So, I mean, Netanyahu took it off the table when Biden conducted that phone call. I think then later on, there was also a phone call with uh, Vice President Harris, and it was really important for Netanyahu to to get that out. Um, 
the messages that gotten out Netanyahu in Netanyahu's uh, prime minister office message there was no mention of the Palestinians only how Harris congratulated him on his big success with the vaccination whereas when I read the the White House press poll or press um, you know um, little segment from Harris uh, office saying how she mentioned the Palestinian issue he needed the conversation and Actually, there was no congratulation uh, message out there in the, in the vice president message. So there's like a difference between those two, um, you know, the way they, they, they describe the phone conversation. goes the same for the conversation with the president himself. It was a difference. Um, you know, with respect to the Jordanian, um, it's a big deal, but it's not, it's not just a campaign issue. It's been going on for a couple of years that the The king uh, and the prime minister are actually not on on talking terms. Uh, I think it started when Netanyahu suggested annexation. Uh, the king was upset with that, and um, many opposing people said, you know annexation uh, in the, the Jordanian the peace agreement with Jordan is so important to the security. And to the day to day to day lives of the Israelis and it's yeah. unbelievable that it's been just thrown under the bus for for another campaign stick that never really you know happened so Netanyahu was throwing um, you know issues at the Israeli public in order to win I will annex this um, set a settlement and then I will annex the entire region and I will um, I will control the Temple Mount and so on and all of those all of those statements were done and For the purpose of of the campaign and um, and it's you know what happened this week is the the prince was trying to go to visit the Temple Mount and Israeli security forces did not let him in and um, then the following day Netanyahu was planning to take a flight to the United Arab Emirates when you have to fly over Jordan and yeah. the Jordanian said, No, excuse me, no, uh, no, no approval for the prime minister plane to cross this area. So Netanyahu got so upset and so furious with that. He actually called, or not him, but his staff people called the airport in Ben Gurion and said, do not allow any Jordanian, um, you know, um, planes, not just the king's plane, but you know any planes any plane across yeah. Israel's airways, which is very, very harsh and you know um, and against the peace treaty as well um, really um, I, I, I know we, we basically have one more minute. We have a terrific question from Ambassador Dan Kurtzer, who you know we're one week out. And I think it's great to end on this question, which is what he writes, is there a possibility of what we call in the US an October surprise, a last minute uh, action or event that has a major impact on, on voter preference? Anything going to happen in, with seven days to go? So first, uh, thank you, Mr. Kersers, for uh, being ambassador, Kersers, for being part of this conversation. I'm feeling uh, 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 overwhelmed by your presence I saw the question before um, I think um, Netanyahu was trying to set up the October surprise in many ways he was trying to get Putin to maybe bring back home some of the remains of the of Eli coin from uh, Damascus he was trying to set um, you know set something with the United Arab Emirates by the way the Emirates themselves were, weren't very happy about the 
Netanyahu's surprise, and they kind of, you know, rejected it in a very gentle way. At the end, they agreed to meet him only at, on the airport, but then the Jordanian king gave him the surprise. Um, he was trying, for what we hear, maybe there is a week. I won't be in a shock to see Netanyahu flying over. Uh, you know, some people say that this Thursday he's still planning a flight to the Emirates. I don't know if that's going to take place or not. But um, the, 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 also he was planning to invite over Burla, the chair, uh, the, the director of uh, Pfizer, was scheduled to be here and canceled because some some people here, you know, the media and some other people, you know, told you know Mr. Burla that he is playing in the campaign of, of the Prime Minister Netanyahu. So I think, I think Netanyahu was really trying to set up an October surprise, but was unable to, to get that done. Maybe the lack of the assistance from the White House, maybe because everybody are so used to his uh, tricks and are expecting his next move. So, you know, things didn't work. Um, but I have to tell you, from we have the last in Israel under the Israeli law, you cannot publish political polls from Friday, this Friday, yeah. until Tuesday, five days. So the last polls will be published on, on Friday night, maybe Friday at eight p.m. or so, eight p.m. Israel times, and for that time until Tuesday, it's five days of or four and a half days of the unknown. And uh, since we don't count on the polling to be correct anyways. And plus, since we don't count on the exit polls to be correct, because Israeli lie on the exit polls, about 25% of the people just lie on purpose. They lie on purpose because some of them say they take real good enjoyment from watching channel 12 and 13 make mistakes on, right. on, on 10 p.m., so they, they love to see the anchors being humiliated. So for that yeah. reason, they lie on the exit poll. So, I mean... <laughs> we'll, we'll take the exit polls with a grain of salt when we get together next week. The October surprise will be if we won't have a fifth election. That would be a great surprise for us. <laughs> well, if we do, uh, we'll hope to have you back to explain it all yet again. Thank you, Tal, uh, for sure. going over, over uh, time a bit with us today. Uh, I want to thank everyone again for joining us. You can get a recording of this a uh, uh, webinar on our on our website israelpolicyforum.org or on uh, our podcast Israel Policy Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, again, thank you all for your consideration of support. You can support our work at israelpolicyforum.org/giving. Again, next Tuesday we will have a special webinar at 4 p.m. where we will take those exit polls with a grain of salt. Uh, we'll talk about what the initial results are, are saying. Announcements will be sent around shortly uh, for that gathering. Thanks all for joining. As Susie always says, uh, if it's Tuesday, it's, it's an Israel Policy Forum webinar. Uh, and next Tuesday, again, at a special time. Thanks again, Tal. And thanks all for joining us. Thank you.